And welcome, listeners, to another episode of Cathode Raycast, the Story Screen Presents podcast where we talk about all things television. I am your host, Bernadette Gorman White, and I'm excited for this episode for a number of reasons. Uh, a, I get to talk to a good buddy who I don't get to do a lot of podcasts with, so that's exciting. Uh, B, it's going to be a great episode where we really delve into this particular series and see you can use it as a supplementary supplementary uh, podcast episode to go to another episode if you would like to look back in our archives and revisit a podcast from our past. So obviously, my guest today is Rhea Banerjee, and I'm very excited to have her with me. And we're going to be talking about The Crown Season 5. And we were crazy people the last time we talked about The Crown because we got into it <laughs> after season four, but hadn't had a podcast yet about it at all. So we really just like went deep into yeah. seasons one through four. But Rhea, I'm so glad you're back. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be back too. I always enjoy having someone to talk to about this series in particular. Um, and, and I know you and I have a, a, a similar obsession, both with the show and the real life people behind it. So I'm super psyched. Um, and you know, it's always lovely to see you even virtually. So yep. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, that's very, very cool. So, um, yeah. And, you know, and this is, this is a very different very different season in a lot of ways from the first four so i'm really uh really interested to see what your thoughts were um because i have i have some i have some opinions (laughs) (laughs) well i'm glad to hear you say that you thought it felt very different because i agree i think that's a good jumping off point Mm -hmm. um not to say And I've said this to a few people, The Crown is never bad. And I certainly don't think this season was bad at all. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, whether it was the change in cast or if it was the focus less so on the queen herself, the fact that now most of the cast members are adults and so they're all kind of telling their own stories. Meanwhile, you have... Other characters from other families coming in that are going to play a big part in the last season. Mm -hmm. So you're really getting more of a fragmented storytelling with Mm -hmm. the focus really pulling from the older members of the royal family. Um, I really felt like this season, a lot happened, but it was so much more quiet. It was a quiet season. And certain episodes were very stylistic and felt really... There was a lot of heft behind them. But for the majority, I thought the season itself wasn't as dynamic as the seasons in the past. I completely agree. And yeah. that was that was the consensus that both me and Tim had. Um, you know, when I was thinking about how the focus has been pulled away from 
uh, Elizabeth. I was thinking about the title of the show, and of course, the title of the show isn't the Queen; it's the Crown, right? Um, which is which is almost more of a conceptual, uh, conceptual concept. Oh boy, need more <laughs> coffee. Um, you know, and so it, it, in some ways, uh, pivoting the focus to this next generation um, and looking at Charles in particular isn't. Uh, I didn't. I didn't find that to be uh, too weird because I think I understand why they're doing that. Very interesting to watch this season after uh, Charles has finally, after so many years, (laughs) ascended the throne. Um, And um, but I, I right off the bat, I had some major, major objections and that is not a lot of time has passed between the end of season four of the crown and this season and all of a sudden everyone suddenly looks much older yeah um and you know i mean it's you know the it's very jarring you look at the end of season four and you see olivia coleman leaving off and then you get imelda staunton and it's like she's she's aged 20 years but it's only been what five or six yeah uh you know and um i love dominic west as an actor as a performer and i think that he was able to convey uh, a really great level of humanity uh in his portrayal of charles this season which reminded me of um oh what's his last name josh uh the fellow who played charles in three and four yes Josh, I cannot remember. We, we can consult the internet. Yeah. But continue. Because <laughs> um, in, in season three of The Crown, Charles was a very sympathetic figure. And then season four, he got a little harder to like. But you can kind of understand, you know, like what the turmoil was. Right. Um, you know, and I think that Dominic West was able to capture a little bit more of that humanity of Charles that we saw in season three. Um, he does not look anything like Charles, whereas not even the remotely pre- the previous performer really did look like Charles, um, and um, you know, and he had the physicality that kind of stoop in his shoulders. And I read an interview with Dominic West where he talked about how he did look at the the previous actor Josh Josh whatever his name is sorry sorry Josh O'Connor there we go sorry Josh O'Connor if you're listening um you know he and he did mention things like the posture and stuff like that and just the idea that the weight of everything in his life is 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 bearing down on him but I didn't see a lot of evidence in his performance that he was trying to bring that forward into the character it was a very confident Dominic West sort of performance yes with a lot of bravado Um, exactly which is not not in character with who we've seen charles to be so far and also not really in character with who as i understand charles is in real life so that was a little jarring um i hate to say this because i think imelda staunton is a really great actor I did not care for her performance as the queen. Oh, in interesting. This season. I mean, I, I, I think she captured. I mean, that Anna's horrible speech is very famous. Yeah, and I think she she captured the cadence and the speech of 
this kind of older era of Elizabeth mm-hmm. very well. But again, it was very hard for me to see the through line from Olivia Coleman to this version of the Queen. Whereas I think when the cast switch over between seasons two and three happened, there was it wasn't as hard to see the transformations. You can see, you know, I mean Claire Foy and Olivia Coleman aren't, you know, identical, but you could <laughs> see that you could you could believe that this is who she had aged into. Um, and also, you know, Tobias Menzies looks exactly like Prince Philip in that Yeah, he time was so frame. good. He was so good. He was he was one of my favorite parts of seasons three and season four. Agreed. Um, and you know, Jonathan Price, again, a brilliant actor. Um and he does look like Philip in his somewhat. old age. Somewhat. Yeah. Um I found it weird that Prince Philip has become kind of a teddy bear in this telling of the story because that's definitely not who he was in real life. As he got older, he got grumpier. And it's like he seems sort of saw like there's one scene where he gets kind of, you know, harsh with Diana. He sure. kind of tries to have a come to Jesus with her. And then I, in that moment, I was like, OK, this is Prince Philip as I understand him to be or, you know, when he was at this age right but he was sort of softer and you know like cuddlier i mean he didn't cuddle with anybody but you know what i mean like he was (laughs) almost (laughs) yeah he was like he was very um like sweet Mm -hmm. in a way that he's he he not only he wasn't necessarily in his real life but again we have the problem of the through line between you know, Matt Smith to Tobias Menzies to Jonathan Price. And this it's just a very, very jarring comparison. That being said, uh, Elizabeth Debicki is a, a, a frighteningly, uh, she, I mean, she's a doppelganger for Princess Diana. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tim and I were just, I mean, exactly, mannerisms, all of it. The the only thing was that she's a, she's a, a little bit too tall, but we can overlook that because she's got such a, I mean, the, the thing about Diana is she had such a commanding presence. So it right. wasn't, it's not, didn't pull us out of it. But no, it was like every all. episode, every episode, Tim was just kind of like, you just look at her like that. It, it, it feels like you're looking at the real woman and it's very, very shocking. Um, and she did a wonderful job. Um, I think uh, Olivia Williams as Camilla also was very good. Very good. Looks, you know, almost exactly like the real Camilla. And also, I mean, I was shocked when I realized it was Olivia Williams because they transformed her. She she does not. I mean, she was she was unrecognizable to me as Olivia Williams, Um, you know, and I think she did a really great job. And what I like about her, too, is she again, I feel like in season three of The Crown, we were able to see the humanity of Charles and Camilla and the relationship and and buy into that relationship. And both of them got less sympathetic in season four, but that's because the introduction of to, to of Diana occurred in that season. Sure. And now you're you're that's a complication, and that makes that relationship a little harder to stomach. And again, I think when they in this season they've kind of managed to pivot back a little bit to allowing us to see the humanity of both Charles and Camilla, and understand the relationship and why the relationship went on for so long 
mm-hmm. you know, like decades, you know. I mean, th- these are two people who really have um, a very intense connection, not just, you know, physically, romantically, sexually, but, you know, like an intellectual connection. You know, he's he's calling, you know, before the, maybe let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but before the infamous tampon gate conversation that that conversation starts with him calling her to be like i wrote a speech can i run it by you yeah and and you know like he he wants her take on his speech and it's just it's it just it's so telling that it's he's he's not calling his wife and saying hey what do you think because he doesn't trust her to give him good advice in that arena and you know she's probably not terribly interested in doing that either sure um you know whereas camilla is sort of on his level intellectually and camilla also wants to support him like she's she's actually a very good girlfriend you know yeah yeah um, i think it shows that camilla like really is his best friend Yes, absolutely. yeah, Diana is just someone who has appointed him. Um, Right. But yeah. Right. Yeah. I did appreciate in the very first episode, though, when we know at this point Charles and Diana have been having marital issues for quite some time. um, And they go on the the boat, (laughs) the boat, which became a horrible tortured metaphor throughout the whole season. Yeah. Um, The Britannia. Yeah. and I liked there was a little moment where Charles and Diana got together because they knew the press and was was there to see them, you know, off on their thing. And he kind of turns to her and goes, should we should we give them the show? And she goes, yes, let's do it. And they have this moment where they know on some level that the two of them together looks good. Yes. And they can put on a fantastic show of looking like everyone's dream couple um and they almost enjoy it it's like that's that's the thing that's that's keeping them together basically at that point is the fact that they're like we know we can make this look good do we really do we do we really love each other (laughs) hard to say but there's there's sort of a you know it, it seems like charles got a little more comfortable with the idea that she is super charismatic and started mm-hmm. to understand how to utilize that. He was less threatened by it. He was kind of like, all right, let's, let's do our thing. Let's put on the show and, you know, charm yeah. everybody. Um, I thought that was very sweet. And then of course that went downhill immediately when she wanted to go shopping and right. not, not do the museum tours and all of the very Charles things that he wanted to do. As on soon the trip. as she was a person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. With their own but wants it, and desires. Exactly. But like when they're playing when they're playing like the public version of Charles and Diana, they're so good at it to the point where they enjoy doing it. It's like sure. that's the one thing that they are able to connect over. Um yeah, so definitely. the one thing that I will say, just overall, my impression of the season, just as a whole, because now we've gotten to you know, they're uh, Charles and Diana's divorce, and we've gotten a couple of episodes that center on the Fayed family, mm-hmm. Muhammad Al Fayed and and Dodi Al Fayed, and and um, and we all know what happens there. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing; it feels like it feels like the entire season is kind of like, well, we all know what's going to happen, and 
I think one of the reasons why this season feels quieter, as you mentioned, is that it's, I don't know how much of, I don't know how much it was really moving the plot forward. I feel like it was setting up chess pieces for the final season. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was, it was making sure we were introduced to Muhammad and Dodi. We saw the marriage fall apart. We saw Diana's relationship with the, um, the, the surgeon fall apart. We see the, you know, beginning potential of her relationship with Dodi. You know, the season leaves off with her about to go on holiday with the kids on Muhammad's yacht. And we know that's where she spends time with Dodi. And that's where, that's the beginning of the end. I mean, that, I looked it up, that last scene of Diana in The Crown is literally three or four months before her death. That's right. where we are. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's haunting. It's, 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 it's haunting, but it's also just kind of like, I felt like the show was just waiting to get us to that point. Right. In this season. Um, you know, and then it, there were there were some other great, you know, little subplots along the way, but it really felt like they're just setting us up for the big the big event that we know is coming and that has sort of been hanging over the show ever since um Diana was introduced as a character. Um Right. And right. um and that was I feel like that took away from the storytelling a little bit. You know, it is Agreed. mentioned it is mentioned in the plot of the show that this is, you know, like all but one of Elizabeth's children, their first marriage has failed. And that's a part of her, you know, Anna's horriblest situation when she gives that speech. Um but we don't really get we get a little bit of Anne's situation because it, it is used to draw a parallel with um, poor Margaret, who yeah. I, I just, now I just poor Margaret is how Feel I think her of her even more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, and then obviously Charles and Diana's relationship is is the central point. But I don't know if they're shying away from talking too much about Prince Andrew because of uh, the Epstein thing. I'd imagine yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they got the they got the main headlines in, which is that they both were cheating on each other, and there was a whole thing with Fergie on a boat getting her toes sucked, which I I seem to remember that being in the news when I was young and being like weird. Yeah, um, you know, but <laughs> not they quite didn't... understanding it then, nor yeah. maybe understanding it now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I did think it was funny that you know when Prince Andrew is is talking to his mother and he mentions the toe sucking thing and even she's just kind of like uh, uh what right okay. um, what do you mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so so again like i think there were some moments where they were able to introduce some interesting story threads that weren't about this diana thing but mm-hmm. the diana thing is like a is like the elephant in the room it's like an anvil over the entire show's head yeah. At this point. And I think that because of that, it did weaken the season, especially compared to the four that we have seen right. before. Um, it's, it's interesting yeah. with those previous four seasons, because obviously we've 
we know the story to, mm-hmm. you know, either a lesser or greater extent of what the royal family has gone through. But I agree with you in the sense that watching seasons one through four, you kind of forgot that you knew the story. And right. so there wasn't an element of trying to get to the end game of what where we are now. Right. And I agree that I feel like season five was, you know, it, it felt like they didn't quite know what to do in this interim. They got right. to a point in season four where they knew that they would have to get to these parts of history eventually, mm-hmm. but they didn't want to get there quite yet because they don't want to go too far into where we are now. Right. Because that's never really been the goal. Right. So I mean, I know that I know it was Peter a placeholder for sure. Right. Exactly. I know Peter Morgan has sworn up and down that he is not going to touch the Harry and Meghan situation. Right. Um, and I think that's for the best. Agreed. Um, I do know just from from reading um, entertainment news that they have cast somebody. They have cast two actors to play Prince William in his teens and early adulthood. Um, I do think, by the way, that uh, the young boy who played William in this season, who is Dominic West's real life son, yeah, uh, did a very good job. Um, Agreed. So I I do know that they have cast two actors to play William. I presume that means that they have to cast a teenage Harry, and I do know that they have cast a Kate Middleton. Okay. Which I guess tracks with the idea of this being the Crown, and you know they're they're going to have to start shifting some focus towards William because he's the next in line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I imagine, I don't know if we're going to get to William and Kate's wedding per se, but I, if they've cast a Kate Middleton for the final season, I imagine we're going to get that relationship. And of course, uh, I think people forget about that relationship, um, aspects of that relationship now that they've been married for so long. Um, Prince William kept her waiting for quite some time Mm. before he proposed to her. They met in college and I think he, I don't really know much about what he was thinking, but I do know that, uh, you know, the British tabloid, British tabloids are awful. And I believe that for a while, uh, Kate got the nickname of, weighty katie like she's waiting oh on my him. gosh she was just waiting for him to you know it was kind of almost like all right you know i'm i'm waiting because i know this is gonna happen but he didn't he took many many years to actually finally uh put a ring on it hmm. <laughs> so to speak um when did so that I don't, happen 2010 i think 2010 okay. yeah right. um and he's only He's only if I mean Harry is my age, and William is only like a, a couple of three years older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that comparatively, he was much older than his parents when they got married, and right. much older than his grandmother and grandfather when when they got married. Um, and uh, I don't think that. I don't think that anybody really made much of it at the time, but it is notable that he uh, he did keep her waiting for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that I, had something to do with the yeah. relationships and his family. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that. I mean, you know, they they do sort of sow the seeds of that as you know. 
one of the more heartbreaking parts of this season was was seeing how um, Diana is a very, very active and loving mother in a way that we know Elizabeth wasn't. Right. Um, but she has terrible boundaries, especially with William. Extremely codependent. These, yeah, very codependent, talking about things that she really should not be talking about with her middle school age son and and the poor right. kid finally goes do you really have to talk to me about this stuff you know like she's talking about her relationship with the doctor and you know i've met somebody and blood and he's just kind of like i really don't want to know i really don't want to know <laughs> the Stop. less i know the better yeah you're my mom can yeah. we just like have a normal mom child relationship and she seems sort of taken aback and not like offended when he says that but she's surprised when he says, can, can, can we, uh, he tries to draw that boundary because she's just like, well, who? it's like, she doesn't have anyone else she can talk to. So she's like, well, of no. course I'm going to talk to my son. And he's like, please don't. Right. You know, it was so sad is- when she says like her closest friends are the people who provide services for her. Yeah. It's very sad. Yeah. Like yeah. her act- acupuncturist and like. All yeah, of these other her, people. Like, yeah, exactly. Her like aromatherapist and stuff right. like that. She's very she's like a proto Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, like <laughs> like goop era Gwyneth. You Big know, time. she's really into this like alternative healing stuff. Um, which I thought was funny. I forgot that about her. Right. Um you know, um but yeah, I, 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 you know, and it's funny, like we're kind of bouncing all over the place in talking about this season. And I think that that's actually fitting because I feel like the season kind of was not as focused as it, ha- as, as it has been in past years. Uh, yeah, it didn't feel as linear in the storytelling mm-hmm. aspect, especially with meaning the Al-Fayed family kind of going back in time again. Right. And, and, and seeing I mean, that like, family come up through the ages. and Exactly. And I also thought, I mean, I, I thought it was really interesting, though, that they chose to, um, they chose to, like, focus an entire episode on the family um on his family on the on the Fayad family it's a huge break in form for the show definitely to um to 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 move oh i mean we only get small bits of the royal family in that episode um and it's really only at the end you know that moment where diana is kind of <laughs> it was kind of funny to me that elizabeth was supposed to sit with muhammad at right. the at the races and then of course she gets there and she's like oh porchy's here uh <laughs> you know and like porchy is like in, in some ways like you know she, we know that she really really loves philip that's a very big part of their relationship but she and porchy are kind of you know soulmates in in that way they've got the horse connection in common they uh, you know knew each other for you know years and years and years since they were young and so right. it's kind of funny that she was like, oh, yay, Porchy's here. And it isn't – it wasn't even so much, and now I don't have to sit with this strange man who's been stalking me, kind of. Um, but it was more just kind of like, I I, I like spending time with Porchy, so I'm going to sit with Porchy and eh, send Diana over there. You know, that's right. – that'll be fine. You know, Diana's <laughs> – you know, Diana's going to be the <laughs> next queen. It's fine. It'll it'll work. Um you know, and then Diana has all these conspiracy theories about, you know, 
she's like, oh, yeah, I'm the black sheep. That's why they've sent me over to you and blah, blah, blah. And that sort of ends up reinforcing Muhammad's bitterness about his place in English society. Uh, you know, I, 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 I felt for Dodie a lot in that mm-hmm. episode um, because I think Muhammad was a, not an easy parent to have. Definitely um, And he, you know, and Muhammad's attitude towards his own culture and his obsession with English culture is distasteful. And I, and I don't necessarily even mean that in a kind of like, oh, he's, you know, like an imperialist, you know, and that's, that's in bad taste uh, kind of situation. But um, it's not just that. It's like he was not happy that there was a black man working for him until he found out that he had a connection to the royal family. But look at the connection he had. He didn't have a connection, like a connection to the royal family that's in power. He had a connection to Edward, who abdicated. and The failed king. The failed king, who is a Nazi sympathizer. You know, and like, yes, uh, you know, Sidney seems like a lovely man in in a lot of ways. And we did meet him in season three, I believe, when when Edward dies. Um, And and it seems like he was a a, a nice person and was a was a comfort to Edward and Wallace, you know, especially when when Edward got sick. But um that's not really a great connection to the royal family. <laughs> you know, that's not going to open right. doors. You get the feeling that Muhammad thinks that's going to open doors for him. And it's like, no, it's not. You know, that's that's like the most problematic member of the family to be connected to. Sure. And he seemed, and he's so short-sighted. He's just kind of like, oh, he used to work for a king. He used to work for the guy. The guy was king for like nine months. <laughs> before he abdicated you know so it's just like uh, no elizabeth's not really going to be impressed that he hired her uncle who basically ruined her entire family's life yeah yeah with the abdication she's not going to be like oh cool he, he sydney's his valet she's going to be like oh fuck i this don't want to think about yeah exactly i don't want to <laughs> think about he's dead i'm don't have to think about him anymore you know like uh, uh, you know, so it, 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 it's strange. It's, it's very, it, it shows sort of a very limited understanding of the family that he so desperately wanted to be connected to. And then, oh, big time. you know, because Diana is thrown into his orbit, he's like, oh, I mean, and that is in some ways a more direct connection to the family. But then of course, Diana and Charles divorce right. and Diana's own only real connection to the family at that point is that she's the mother of the future king. Yeah. Um, And, you know, again, it's like these, these threads that Muhammad is trying to grasp onto so that he can be seen as part of like upper class English society. And it's, it's, it's like tragic on two fronts because number one, I look at Brexit. I mean, the, he's as a, brown skinned man in England, he was never, ever going to really achieve being a part of the upper class elite. And it's also just kind of like, and you don't get it. 
Like you don't you don't understand that like you're throwing yourself into alliance with people who the family actually finds problematic. Yeah. And so you're not going to get access to the queen as a result. You're not going to get access to the queen if you are connected with King Edward or her or Diana, her, her <laughs> sure. former daughter-in-law, who caused them a lot of trouble. Um, sure. You know. Well, it really just highlights Muhammad's obsession with the veneer of high society. Yes. Because, yeah, even the whole point of him being a producer on Chariots of Fire, he wasn't really interested in getting into that game until awards were possible. And so, right. yeah, it's just he's a very interesting person and showing him from his early age where he was scrapping for cash mm -hmm. and scrapping for for status. You can mm -hmm. tell that that really just was a through line his entire life, mm -hmm. just trying exactly. to get the acclaim for for things and not the things themselves, like mm -hmm. anything, people, objects, endeavors, right. projects. It's never just the project for him. It's always the the status of said project, right? And so it exactly. kind of makes him kind of a sympathetic character for sure. To, to see that all of his relationships, all of his people and, you know, achievements in life have been kind of hollow for him. Because it's right. always about the next thing, the next success status, the next project to get him further up the ladder. Yeah, it's it was an interesting episode. And I, I, I was happy that they chose an entire episode to get into his family after I yeah. watched it. But yeah. I will say the beginning of the episode, getting into, you know, like, the end of the first third of the episode, I was still a little, like, I don't know, did we need a whole episode about this? Right, exactly. But, but once I you got to the end, it was worth it, for sure. It was worth it. And, I, and, I, and it is important because... You know, when 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 all this was happening in real time, uh, my mother was very, very uh, obsessed with uh, following the antics of the royal family. And so I know a lot about this particular period of time as a result. And um, Tim, my my boyfriend, my partner, whatever we're calling him, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, he he remembers it kind of in broad strokes. Um and he did live in London for a while during this time period, but he's he was never interested. And the friends that he has in England are not, you know, they're not royalists. They don't really give a crap. Um, so he just remembers little bits and pieces. And so I had to remind him, I was like, Muhammad Al-Fayed, you know, he, he ultimately, by the time he became uh, somebody known to the public, uh, most he was most famous for for owning Harrods, um, and also um, what I did like about having an episode focused on him and on his relationship with his son, and then coming back to that at the end, is that it is a reminder that uh, Diana is not the only person who was lost when the car accident happened um there Dodie also died and Dodie seems like as I mean as far as we can see he seems like a nice guy mm -hmm. you know he's trying to make a name for himself that's not you know just I'm Muhammad Al-Fayed's son right um and Muhammad lost his son in that situation and he 
was devastated when that happened. And he, you know, I believe he introduced litigation. He was trying to sue the um, the paparazzi, the French paparazzi that was responding. Mean, he got very, very, very involved in trying to find some justice for his family's tragedy in that situation. Um, and as I remember it, he wasn't doing it in a way necessarily to be like, oh, we're just as important as Princess Diana. He was a grieving father. Right. You know, and he, he you know, and, and, and it's it's such a horrible, horrible way to lose a son. You never want to, you know, you never want to outlive your children. Right. And to have it go down the way it did, um, you know, uh, I think that it is important that the show did introduce us to him. But again, like I said before, it's like setting the chess pieces into place. Now we know Dodi. Now we know Mohammed. And now that part of the story presumably is going to resonate more when they get to the inevitable next season. Right. Um, Especially when the end result is what he had been chasing the whole time. The status, mm-hmm. the, the exactly. celebrity, the connection to the crown. Exactly. And it didn't cost him his life, but it, you know, he paid the price. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, you know, so I, 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 I think it's, uh, I think it was a good choice in the end to do that. I was with you in the in in the beginning of that episode. I was like, why are we an entire episode? We, yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> why are we why are we watching Muhammad Al-Fayed as like a child? Like what is what is this What's the end game what, here? Yeah, exactly. What is this how is this serving the overall story? And then by the time you get to the end, you're just like, "Oh, you see how he and Diana kind of become buddies." Right. And you understand, okay, this is how she gets into that family's orbit. And that's sort of the beginning of the tragedy um, right. that we all know is coming. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I was curious. To, you know what's funny, too? Um, the famous interview that Diana gave with Martin Bashir, which, mm-hmm. again, I remember very, very clearly from when it happened. I watched it. I think my mom and I watched it. Because um, I just I remember these moments that captured him very well, um, and the the whole situation very well. But it's interesting because all of this information has since come out about the uh, you know in, in very recent years about the um, very non ethical ways he got Diana to agree to do that interview. Right, and it just I I was just thinking you know like this show has been on the air at this point for. When was season one? Oof, a while because, ago. Yeah, because they do two seasons and then they always take a, a gap year, basically, mm-hmm. to get the new cast up and running. So we've got season one, season two, one year off. So that's three years. Season four, season five, Let's one year off. Here. That's six years. 2016 was the first season. Was the first season. Yeah. So yeah. we've got six six years. Um. And Martin Bashir's uh, shenanigans really only came to light, you know, like a couple of three years ago. Right. And I was sitting there thinking, imagine if this show had been in, you know, if this season had been in production three years ago. And what they would have had to do. Exactly. Martin Bashir would have been portrayed very differently because we didn't know what he had done. And now that we do, it actually, I think it makes the story more interesting. Agreed. Now that we know what he did because it's, and it, and it plays off of that 
idea of Diana's extreme paranoia, um, you know, which I don't think was founded. I don't think they were tapping her phones, you know, and she was always it's like every time she's on the phone with William, she's like, what's that noise? What's that noise? And he's like, Mom, what noise? What? There's no noise. But she was so paranoid about everything. And she had this real even that moment where she is deployed to go sit with Muhammad at the polo game um, and she sits down with him. And it's it's like even in that moment, she's she's just met the guy and she's like spilling her guts about like, oh, yeah, they all hate me. And they're, you know, just always looking for reasons to, like, you know, screw me over and plant stories in the press about me and whatever. It's like she's so deep into this, like, tinfoil hat conspiracy that the family is persecuting her. And I do not believe that was the case. I just think that at that point, everybody knew that the marriage was in trouble. Everybody knew that Charles was not going to dump Camilla and they're, they were trying to work around it. You know what I mean? Like, they were trying to work around it because they didn't want another divorce in the family. Divorce is a an overarching theme for this family and for the show. You know, it, well, it all especially starts... Especially for, for Charles, since he's the next in line. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it, it's like the, the family becomes... This branch of the family becomes the royal family because King Edward abdicated the throne because he was not allowed to marry Wallace Simpson because she was divorced twice, I believe. And both of her husbands, her ex-husbands were still alive and that's not permitted in the church of England. So it's like divorce is what sets everything in play for, uh, you know, for, for George the sixth taking the throne and this entire branch of the family that never thought that they were going to be put in this position, suddenly thrown in this position mm-hmm. that, and, and they didn't want it and, and they had to do it because that's, you know, duty. That's how it works. That's God how it works. Calls yeah. you to rule. Exactly. Exactly. But it's like, it's like the, the, the beginning of this story is a divorce. Mm hmm. And mm-hmm. then, and then you get, you know, uh, Princess Margaret and uh, Tony, and you get, you know, everybody, everybody in that second generation of the family, uh, except for um, Edward, the youngest son. I think he's the only one who's still married to the person he originally married. Yeah, it must uh, be easy when you time. don't have. As much pressure on your shoulders. Oh, yeah. 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 He's the youngest. He's like, no, nothing. <laughs> no one cares, cares what he does. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's it's like it, it's like they were trying. The family was trying to just work around the fact that they knew the marriage was troubled. And Diana had incredible confidence in public, which is what made her a compelling public figure and so popular. Mm-hmm. But she had such. She had like this weird combination of extremely low self-esteem and also extremely high um, self-importance that she had convinced herself that they were tapping her phones and following her and, um, you know, messing with the brakes on her car 
and stuff like that, which made it easy for Martin Bashir to kind of sneak in there and be like, oh, by the way, your entire staff is colluding against you. Um, and, you know, here's some, you know, falsified invoices <laughs> proving it. And, you know, it's like he knew exactly how to tap into her worst fears and that's what got her to agree to do the interview. Right. And right. um and and I don't think she ever learned. Of course, nobody knew what he did. Nobody knew until two or three years ago. Um, you know, so she she died thinking that everybody, literally everybody, was against her. Right. And I think that that's why she uh threw herself so headlong into the relationship with Dodie. It was a short relationship. They weren't together for long Mm -mm. before the car crash, but it was super intense, super fast. And I think some of it was just, you know, whatever, uh, pheromones, chemistry, whatever you want to call it. But, But I think a lot of it was just like a rebellion and a fuck you to the family. Like, look, I'm gonna be in this relationship and I'm going to be photographed in this relationship and we're going to do a lot of PDA and we're going to do a lot of like, you know, being seen in public together right. and going on vacation together and doing, you know, like living the good life together. Um, and it was it was all just a reaction to how she felt she had been treated by the family. Uh, and I'm not saying the family treated her well. Right, right. But, but they treated her with more indifference than she cared to see. Exactly. She yeah. and then she interpreted that indifference as, oh, they're hiding the fact that they are a passive aggression. Exactly. That they are they are trying to uh, you know, to ice get me, me out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ice me out and, you know, uh find out things about me that make me look bad in the press. And it's right. just kind of like Oh, boy, you know, uh, you're making yourself look bad in the press. Exactly. Exactly. And you're and you're working yourself into a tizzy for no reason. And you already have, you know, extreme anxiety issues, extreme issues with depression. This is not helping. No. Um, you know, and and it's funny that she, you know, she has an acupuncturist, she has an aromatherapist, she has like a Reiki healer probably, you know. Uh, did she have a therapist? This no. is where a therapist would have come in handy. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even Princess Margaret saw a therapist. Charles saw a therapist. Charles is the one who got Margaret into therapy mm-hmm. last season. And uh, I was just kind of like, Diana, you needed a therapist. You didn't need a acupuncture. I mean, maybe. I mean, I don't know. I like acupuncture, but uh, <laughs> it, it, that's that wasn't going to fix the problem, you know. No. Um, and I don't know if they're portraying her as such in the show. I don't think there's any evidence that this was the case. But in the show, they're really painting her as a manic depressive. Um, yes. Someone yes. who, especially within the ex- interior of her own home very depressive uh, some states of of mania during her times at home but yeah mm-hmm. the the juxtaposition of her being out in public where she can play up and yeah. be a ham and kind of be the diana that the world knows her to be but also kind of try to like form her new identity as the newly separated then divorced diana um the classic right. revenge dress all of oh, her choices right, right. seem very Manic, very, depressive in the ma- show. Yeah, very, very, um, very impulsive and self-destructive. Right. Um, you know, even even the book, uh, the the Andrew Morton book, um, which they, you know, 
plausible deni- de- deniability, you know, like they 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 found a way to to work around it. Right. Um but even that, I mean, you know, there's this scene in the um in the trailer for this season where you see uh Charles just screaming, "What the hell is she doing?" And in the trailer, that's meant to, I think that's meant to pique our interest into, you know, um, oh, Charles is, is a villain. Um, and that, But when you see it in the context of the show, you're just kind of like, what the hell is she doing? Right. You know, like this is, and not because, oh, she's wronging the family and she's wronging Charles, but just kind of like, this doesn't make you look stable. This doesn't make you look, I mean, like people did sympathize with her, obviously, but, um, you know, with the hindsight of... 25 years more than that um it's not great she does not look like a stable human human person (laughs) um human being you know um in in making these choices i i don't think it was necessarily the worst thing in the world for her to put her story out there right um because it 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 did pull back the veil on some really uh, ugly things about the family. And I think that it's not bad for the public to know that, Um, you know, but I, um, but the way she went about doing it was just so reckless. And, you know, um, and again, like that, there's that heartbreaking moment where she, she feels like she needs to, which was this is a good call on her part. She needs to warn the queen mm-hmm. that the interview is going to air. And then she finds out the interview is going to air on Elizabeth and Philip's anniversary and you can just see in her face she was just like oh shit. You know, and then also that scene it it was um very interesting to see that conversation as well, especially when you look at the difference between the way um in season four, and we had Eliz- Olivia Coleman and Emma Corinne playing the queen and Diana. And, you know, the queen is sort of uh, trying to avoid Diana when Diana is trying to reach her and say, hey, there's issues here and I'm mm-hmm. not happy. And, you know, the queen kind of seems almost avoidant. Like she doesn't she doesn't want to have that conversation um, with either Diana or her son. She's just right. like, no, if I don't, if I don't talk, and which is classic Elizabeth, as we know her at this point in the show. If I, if I don't acknowledge something is bad, then we can just pretend it's not happening. Mm-hmm. And that's something that um, in the episode favorites in season four, which I really liked. That's uh, a great you know, episode. It's a, yeah. And Anne calls her out on it. She's like, oh, oh, your your default action is to do nothing. And that's so frustrating, you know, Um mm-hmm. But it was interesting to see in the scene in, in, in this most recent season where uh, Diana is giving the queen the heads up about the interview and, um, you know, basically says, you know, like, I did it because I, you know, I feel like you, you all you're all icing me out. You don't care about me. You want to see harm come to me. And Elizabeth says, and I believe her, Elizabeth says, I have always been on your side. I care for uh, you. I care for you. I want you to be happy. A- and we know that Elizabeth is not happy with Charles for his behavior because she does call him out on it. Uh, not just in this season. She calls him out in the past in, in previous seasons as well. Um, you know, in the last in the last episode of season four, she basically 
tells Charles that, you know, we're all sick of you and sick of Diana because you are extremely privileged human beings behaving like children, just mm-hmm. just spoiled and uh, complaining and annoying everybody unnecessarily. Get your shit together. Figure out your relationship. This is, you know, basically saying I'm not your marriage counselor, yeah. uh, you know, like figure your shit out. Um, and and we you know and there's also like and again also like in that i think it was the penultimate scene of season four when prince philip goes to check on diana Mm -hmm. and he says i i I hope you know that we all think he's quite mad as well like both both of charles's parents are kind of like ugh, you know when it comes to charles's behavior with the long-standing multi-decade affair that he has been in and they're just like they don't know what they don't know how to stop it they don't know how to do anything about it charles is just charles is just doing charles right um but but they don't approve of what he's doing they just they're just kind of like well versions of this have happened over history in this family and you know you overlook it and eventually it goes away it becomes better the marriage becomes stronger so they're basically telling diana hang in there hang in there um, but they're also both, both, you know, Philip in that scene in season four and, you know, Elizabeth kind of implicitly in this season five, uh, confrontation, basically both of them are telling her like, we, we, we don't think what he's doing is okay. We're not happy with his behavior. Mm-hmm. We don't want you to be unhappy. We're not happy that the relationship between you and Charles has become this you know not just because of public perception but because like charles should know better right right you know he should he should be this is bad behavior this is not appropriate behavior you know like you know not behavior becoming of a king and not behavior of like a husband a husband and, and like a human being a compassionate person which Charles is always very, you know, like, I'm very compassionate. I'm very, you know, like, he he believes that he's, you know, a compassionate, sensitive guy. He, I believe that he's sensitive. But, you know, he he did nothing to keep the affair quiet. He didn't give a shit. No. No, he really didn't. Um, but, yeah, I, I do yeah. like that those scenes where both Philip and Elizabeth are talking to Diana. Yeah, they do show her compassion. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, she chooses to not hear it. But yeah, I do think in those scenes as well, you know, basically mm-hmm. they're telling both Charles and Diana, your continued, like your continued struggle with this relationship is only making it worse. Right. Like you're in the snare. You're not right. getting out of the snare. Right. But you right, fighting right. it is just, you know, causing it to tighten and tighten and tighten. Right. Which is interesting because you did say that Anne calls out her mother for her inaction. And Mm -hmm. meanwhile, the entire idea of being the queen or being the king, having the crown is essentially a position of inaction Mm -hmm. where it is more just, you know, obviously for the show and the pageantry. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, instead of any actual real power. So if you've grown up your entire life being told your position is a position of inaction, how can you learn to be an active person in your own mm-hmm. life, in your own relationships? Right. right. And then how it's just, you know, that generational struggle 
to mm-hmm. always be the opposite of the parents that raised you. Mm-hmm. And just right. seeing Philip and Elizabeth or Philip and Diana have that conversation at the end of season four. And then it just paint the picture of what Charles and Diana would do in this season. Mm-hmm. Like the constant struggle of right. them trying to escape what they're in when there's no escaping what they're in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, uh, one thing I did really appreciate, uh, I, you know, as I mentioned before, that it, it seemed like they were trying to go back to the sort of season three portrayal of Charles and Camilla's mm-hmm. relationship and show the, the humanity and the real, the real uh, genuine love and uh, connection that the two of them had. In the episode about uh, uh, the tampon conversation, <laughs> um, the infamous tampon conversation, I do like that they ended up contextualizing the whole conversation. And, and, and it starts with him being like, hey, hey, uh, can I run my speech by you? And then it just kind of turns into like, you know, their usual like banter. And then it gets it gets weird. But when you read and I and I have uh, in the past, I have read a full transcript of that specific part of the conversation because it, it became so famous. But even that was pulled out of context when you see the whole like how the tampon thing was brought up. It's kind of funny. Like they they know it's funny. And kind they of know, sweet. <laughs> yeah, like they know it's funny. He was like, you know, he's kind of like, oh yeah, with my luck, I'll be a, you know, I'll be a tampon and I'll just be circling the bowl for the, re-. you know, like he's making a joke and she's laughing. It's not like he's saying something particular. I mean, like it it kind of seems gross out of context, but in context, they're both just talking about like, oh yeah, with our luck, you know. This is the way our, you know, like, this is the way things are going to be because our relationship is never going to be, like, appropriately sanctioned. So, like, uh, you know, woe is us, you know, but but kind of humorous, you know. Right. It, it wasn't meant to be gross. Like, he didn't say it necessarily to be, like, disgusting. But when you just take the one comment out of context, it's it is gross. You know, so I did appreciate in that episode that they were trying to say, okay, well, no, this is just sort of their dynamic. This is their sense of humor with each other. And, you know, he was kind of making a self-deprecating joke by using the tampon as the as the reference. Um, and I do think it's it's nice that they did show, you know, the the good things that he did do in his role um you know uh there's that that scene at the end where they show him like break dancing with the kids that actually happened there's you can find that on youtube like the real prince charles like did actually like get in there and break dance with a bunch of young kids like he's not he was seen as stodgy because he is kind of stodgy Mm -hmm. but he uh has his moments of playfulness and he does genuinely care about these causes that are important to him he's just not great on his own when he's on his own being a public person um because i think he is naturally more of an introvert uh than diana was you know and so that's why you know anything that she did she was so charismatic and so confident in in public that she did necessarily sort of outshine him but he Mm -hmm. he cares the causes he cares about are 
worthy causes and he's they didn't really get into it too much in this season but i know that he has been a passionate environmentalist for Mm -hmm. a long time and you know fighting for you know um you know issues to combat climate change and stuff like that he's not he's not like a mustache twirling evil person you know no not at all He, he just he just got and again they they allude to this at the end of season four uh when diana is upset with him and he goes i I think we talked about this actually in the last podcast he says i refuse to have take any responsibility in this grotesque misalliance if you have a problem with this marriage you need to talk to the people who arranged it Mm -hmm. because he understands that this was an arranged marriage he he knows that they he knows that they orchestrated uh camilla being married off to andrew parker bowles and Mm -hmm as a way to keep them apart and he knows that they pushed him into the relationship with diana because she looked good on paper for appearances and yeah. yeah and so he's he's aware of it he's not willing to play along but he's aware of it and you know he gets to his breaking point because she's upset about it and he goes we're not really meant to be together we're not a good match and you see that along the way that they're not a good match you know he's He's more cerebral. He likes to read. He likes to visit museums, you know, and she's she's kind of like, I want to go to the beach. I want to go shopping. Yeah. I want to, you know, like uh, I, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll dance to Billy Joel in front of, <laughs> until, you know, for your birthday. And that's but that's my birthday gift to you. And he's just like, that's not a that's not that's what not I want for my birthday. Yeah, that just <laughs> was embarrassing. You know, so, um, you know, it's it's. It's um again, it's interesting because, you know, we 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 they it took them a long time to actually get divorced, even though they both knew yeah. fairly yeah. early on that it was not a good match. Um but they they held it together. They tried they tried. They did try. Mm-hmm. Um and it didn't work out, but they did try. Uh and it just became untenable after a while. For um, sure. The, I, yeah. The the Charles uh, dance scene at the end of that episode, um, and just that episode in general, with mm-hmm. Charles becoming more outspoken with mm-hmm. what he wants to the crown to do going mm-hmm. forward, I will say, I think that was my favorite episode, if only for the fact that we've been with the crown for, you know, a number of seasons now and a number of years. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the styles of the clothing change, the styles of the homes when you're outside of, you know, the palaces and Mm -hmm. the royal areas. But I think that was the first episode, especially with the end credits, with like hip hop playing, Mm, that it's the mm -hmm. first time that I think the show itself is like, this is where we are in time and space. It's very, yes, it's very situating us, situating us in the 90s. This is where in the 90s, uh, which outside of everything else you know it still felt very much like a couple of seasons ago with the clothing that the royals wear and you know what have you so i thought that was cool because i think especially doing the the episode with muhammad and dodi and setting us back in the past and then doing the episode with russia setting us in the past Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i feel like the show did have a lot of like stutters and some like setbacks sure. with like really keeping up with the times of where we are now. Right. Especially right. with the episode two with uh Princess Margaret 
and Peter Townsend, where they I... set us back in the back in the past again. So it was really, I think the season was doing a reckoning with the past in order to mm. set up this last I, season. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Which made I, this uh, season feel a little slow and sometimes like it was kind of, you know, not really sure of where it was going. But I think as a whole, especially just talking to you and listening to what you have to say, it's making me realize that the show was maybe more aware of itself this season than what I was giving it credit for mm-hmm. when I was watching it. Right. Right. But yeah. I um I I I think it's a shame that we only got one Margaret episode this season. Usually they try to give her two. Especially uh, when the whole time I thought, you know, are we going to see her die by the end of the season? Like I didn't quite know if they were going right. to get her death this season until the right. last episode and I was like, "Oh, okay, so we're not quite there yet." We're not quite there yet. Yeah. But- um and uh, you know, but I that that second episode I found so moving. Um, you know, I think Leslie Manville is um doing a really good job of showing uh, you know, kind of like an older maybe more mature margaret like yeah she still smokes like a chimney but she doesn't she's not getting wrecked every night on alcohol and sleeping till noon you know she's not uh you know like desperately pursuing relationships uh with people and then having her sister be like you do know he's gay right um you know which was one of the funnier moments in the in the one of the margaret episodes last season where she's yeah. like what um <laughs> and um you know, I feel like she was underused this season, but I do like the episode that they gave her a lot because it did allow us to close the loop on that, you know, the the fact that, and I think we did talk about this in our last podcast, that I think she would have had a better and maybe healthier life had she been allowed to marry Peter um, because he was good at sort of helping her manage her more self-destructive impulses. He was an actual um, adult. He was an actual adult. He was a stabilizing presence in her life. She even said as much, you know, when they were kind of, you know, officially engaged and then negotiating what that would mean for her role in the family and you know she was upset when they were blocked from getting married under the terms she wanted because um she you know she said i i need him i i really need him um and um you know it was you know bittersweet uh you know it also tangentially uh timothy dalton playing uh, old Peter Townsend, great casting choice. It took me a while to recognize him, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's cool." You know, he's he's a handsome guy. Uh, great you choice know. for the acting, for sure. Yeah, strange choice. For yeah, he ben did not. Miles to, yeah, no, he didn't. He did not no. look like he did not look like he aged into that person. I think no. they did a good job of 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 uh, making it. I I believed that you know Princess Margaret ended up looking like Leslie Manville. Like, I think they did a good job. And I think Leslie Manville did a good job also of sort of keeping some of the classic Margaret, you know, mannerisms and, uh, you know, um, 
you know, way of speaking, that sort of, you know, like plummy, imperious voice that she gets, especially when she is convinced she's right about something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very sweet. Also, uh, I thought it was a good choice to, uh, you know, when she's looking over the letters, when he brings her the letters, which I think was a very, very uh, not just honorable thing to do, but a responsible thing to do to be like, you know what, this uh, this could make you look bad and i don't want that to happen right uh we're both getting older we don't know what you know anything could happen at this point in our lives for health reasons or whatever um he's like i'm not dying (laughs) don't worry but but i will um, be i will be because we all are (laughs) to a degree uh and you know he he i thought it was very sweet that he thought to bring her the letters and i also think that it was a very smart choice to have her as she's revisiting the letters show flashbacks from the first season, uh, you know, and revisiting um, Vanessa Kirby uh, in that role and sort of remembering, you know, who she was back then and kind of matching that up to who she has grown into. Um, I thought it was, it was, it, it, it served the story really well to have those little flashbacks um, mm-hmm. from from that moment because it just made the whole, you know, when she goes and confronts her sister about it again, it just made that more powerful, um, you know, especially as she's seeing, she's like, this is, you know, nobody has a problem with Anne doing it. Um, and I think some of that is just because Anne is Anne, honestly. Uh, uh-huh. Anne, Anne was Anne was like you know they were all telling her eh, you shouldn't do it. and she's she's basically like fuck you all I'm, I'm marrying him I'm doing it yeah. and you Anne's know a like cool Anne is a cool character yeah Anne was uh, Aaron Aaron Doherty as Anne in oh. the three and four uh, I loved her I thought so she was good. she was so good um, you know and Anne is is uh, again casting wise I don't really know how Aaron Doherty ages into this woman with very dark hair I thought Anne was blonde. <laughs> But I think they the personality uh, very much matched. And I just love that, you know, like there's that moment where she's, uh, you know, she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then she like very pointedly like starts making out with her boyfriend in front of everybody outside the palace. And she's like, you think you're going to stop me? You're not. Um, And I I did very much enjoy that. Um, you know, but I, I, I you feel for Margaret in that moment because she's like, okay, I you know, like whatever, I get times that times have changed, but this is so unfair. This is so completely unfair. Um, and you know, my my life could have been very different and it it became what it is. And she's she's, you know, one of the most tragic figures in the family. Oh definitely. Um, and, you know, I, I it was sweet that it ended up with sort of she and Elizabeth coming to a level of peace. I did think it was funny when they when they t- said, I love you to each other. And then <laughs> and then Margaret immediately goes, God, that was middle class. Let's yeah. not do that again. I was like, oh, there's Margaret. There she is. Um, but, uh, you know, I I like that she went and, and uh, uh, you know, called elizabeth out again um another echo from from the first two seasons yeah just to say you know this 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 sucks this this really really sucks um because he he was the love of her life um yeah 
Very much so. Um, I don't know if I necessarily need the show to make up accounts or, you know, really fictionalize things too mm. heavily. But I do think it would be a very sweet scene if Anne were to talk to Margaret and right. say, you know, mm. I, I feel for you. I'm so sorry, you know, what happened to you. But I think Anne probably takes some of her courage in going for the relationship, knowing mm. that her family isn't completely on board because she has seen what happened to Margaret and how inconsequential it was for yeah. Margaret to be told she couldn't marry who she wanted when Margaret was never going to sit on the throne. Right, exactly. And so I think Anne kind of looks to that and sees, you know, like, well, I'm not in line and I'm yeah. certainly not in line now that, you know, William and Harry exist. Like, yeah, so like, what's what, the point like, of me? What, exactly. I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. And it, it reminds me of um, going back to Charles a little bit. And, and Charles is sort of um, kind of very progressive uh, attitude towards things when they have the, uh, what was it, the going for? It was the, the moving forward, going for The yeah. thing that Prince Philip really wanted it to be, the committee to be called something and everyone yeah. called it something else and he kept on <laughs> correcting them, like, you know, going forward campaign. Um, and Charles was, you know, he he mentioned in, in part of the things that he was advocating for, you know, and how to, how to modernize the family. And he was like, how about we get rid of the whole thing where female... Members of the family are not allowed to be in the line of succession. And you see Anne sitting there and she kind of smiles. I don't think she really wanted to ever be in the line of succession. But she appreciates that he brings it up. And I appreciated that he brought it up. And I do know in real life that he did feel that that was unfair. And it does turn, you know, as it turns out now, they they have changed the rules. Um, and... Uh, you know, um, Princess Charlotte, should anything happen to her brothers? Oh, no, wait, is Charlotte the second oldest? I think they have, they have so many kids. I feel yeah. like William I don't know and Kate why have so many kids. I feel that Charlotte's the oldest, but I think it's probably because I have a cousin who has three children and Charlotte uh, okay. is the oldest in that family. I, th I think George might be the oldest. I think George is the oldest. Yeah, but I do know they've changed the rules so that if anything happens with George she would be the one to ascend the throne it wouldn't it wouldn't fall down to uh just her brothers just her brothers it wouldn't it wouldn't skip over her to um i think louis is the is the third yeah uh in line yeah so i like that i like that that has been changed um and it it was it was kind of refreshing to see that that charles felt passionately enough about it that he brought it up he was like well this is stupid why wouldn't anne be the why wouldn't Anne have been the second in line all this time until I got married and had children? Like why? Like right. that does not make sense to me. Um, you know, uh, so I, I, I did, I did appreciate that. It w I, I agree with you. It'd be nice if, if Anne were able, you know, even if it probably didn't happen, probably um, not. but you know, if Anne were to talk to Margaret and say, you know, I acknowledge that I'm lucky to be in a position where, I can make this happen and nobody's going to bother me about it. But things were different for you because it was 50 years ago. And, you know, we were a lot more strict about things back then. Um, right. right. You know, um, 
Well, that being said, I thought I, I just I thought that that was a really nice episode, and I I wish we had gotten more of Margaret uh, this season. Um, that was a very good episode to showcase her, but um, I think you know she's always she's always been you know one of the most fascinating characters in the family, and uh, she kind of dropped off a bit in season four. Um, understandably because that had that season ended up having to be about diana. charles and diana yeah yeah but um you know it's it's uh i thought that was a shame that we didn't get more from her um and i assume we'll get you know at least a good hearty episode with her in the last season yes so. yes because they're they're going to have to to show that and i mean and 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 I know that uh, the Queen Mum died, I think, maybe two or three days after Margaret died. And a lot of people think that she died of a broken heart, basically, mm-hmm. um, which is very sweet in some way. Uh, mm-hmm. As long as we're t- talking about casting gripes, I don't know why they cast the woman they cast as the Queen Mum. <laughs> uh, I don't think she did a bad job, but she does not resemble the queen mum physically in any way shape or form and they did such a good job casting her in the first four seasons um and then i'm just like even tim tim was like uh the queen mum was never that skinny yeah you know she was known for being kind of like a a a sweet sort of jolly uh you know like a kind of chubby lady who liked her chocolate and her whiskey and Mm -hmm. and tim was like she was she was not you know, she wasn't ugly, but she was not that thin. Uh, and I, you know, it, it seemed it seemed a perplexing uh, ca- casting choice among many perplexing casting choices this season. Yeah, you know? I'll say it was strange that the Queen Mum, Margaret and Anne all kind of seemed like they could be almost the same age with the actresses. Yes, yeah. Which was yeah. very different from previous seasons. I felt right. like... Some right. actresses maybe were a little too old to play their roles. Yeah. Maybe some were I, a little too young. I think those ages became, like, really short in the discrepancy between the ages. Yeah. Which wasn't I, confusing because when you're paying attention to the characters, you know who is who. Yeah. But, but it, just, it was it, it was, was weird. And I also, I mean, like, again, it, it just, uh, with Imelda Staunton, I, I wish they had done a better job of sort of um, – transitioning her look from where we left olivia coleman to yeah. now you know she it was feels very like much they... just imelda staunton yeah exactly and she ha- all of a sudden she's got a shock of white hair yeah. and you know um you know i'm like there's hair dye you could have gone yeah. with salt and pepper you could have you could have yeah. built to that it was like all of a sudden this is the queen that we know and remember from you know, the queen that we've known in the last 10 years or so. Right. Um, you know, Luckily, she, she, the voice, though, the voice. Oh, yeah, she she, she did capture the voice. It's always amazing. The, the, yeah. Claire she, Foy's she, voice, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, they're all they're all working off of that template. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, Olivia Coleman. Tim and I were talking about it, and we were like, at the end of the day, um, you know, we do, we do love Claire Foy. And it's impossible not to like Imelda Staunton, but um, we we do feel, especially after watching this season, that Olivia Coleman's version of the Queen is our favorite, and Tobias Menzies' version of Philip is our favorite. Um, 
think and, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. And I think that, you know, speaking of Philip, I wanted to know what you made of the episodes about Philip, you know, now that he is too old and frail to uh, be uh, playing polo. And he's taken up carriage riding, which is a strange hobby. I'm sorry. It's a strange. That's a strange it, hobby. It's a little strange, but um, the way they shot it made it seem interesting yeah, it and like intriguing. It, was, it, it could be fun, but it's also just so it's so random. It's like, oh, OK. Um, what did you make of that sort of friendship he struck up with? I mean, and, and like she's obviously she's uh, I cannot remember the woman's name, but she is a friend of the Penelope, but I could be Penelope. Wrong. Yeah, no, I think you're right. She's obviously a friend of the family because it's established that uh, Diana is the godmother uh, to her children, including the the poor uh, the poor daughter who died young of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she's not like a complete interloper. Like she's she's a friend of the family, um, but obviously the relationship between her and Philip is. Um, kind of teetering into the realm of an emotional affair. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely. And he admits it's such. He admi- it yeah, seems. exactly. So I wanted to know what you made of that, not just the relationship, but that, I mean, the the episode in particular where he and Elizabeth talk about it and he basically says, look, I, you know, like, it's I I so for my part I found it interesting because we do know that you know from from even the the show's telling of events that um, Elizabeth fought hard to marry Philip and there was uh you know and that even even um, Margaret even brings this up when she's calling her out on the Peter Townsend thing this season you fought hard to be allowed to marry Philip. The family was not so sure about that match because of his family history and him kind of being this weird, like, no-name, you know, uh, nomadic figure, you know, uh, with a with a very problematic family history, you know. Yes. Um, and, and But she fought and fought and fought and fought, and uh, it happened. And... Um, she really loves him. And I think on, on on some level, I mean, you know, we see that in season three uh, in that episode where uh, where uh, Dickie Mountbatten tries to stage a coup mm-hmm. and she's gone on this like extended horse holiday with Porchy. And, you know, Philip certainly. Holiday. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and Philip certainly is aware of the connection that Elizabeth has with Porchy. And it might, it sort of threatens him, not in any real way, because he knows that Elizabeth would never leave him. Right. But but he knows that they are, they're close. And then there's that thing where she finally comes back from the holiday to deal with Dickie. And uh, he kind of, you know, makes a point of basically saying, uh, he doesn't say it in these words, but he's kind of like, hey, I, you were gone for a long time and I kind of missed you. And then he, you know, gives her a big old kiss and says, I'm going to bed. And she's like, I'll be up in a bit. (laughs) And she's, you know, and she's kind of giddy that he, you know, showed her that kind of affection. And you can you, you see in those moments like, oh, yeah, no, they she really, really loved him. And he. He, he did love her as well, but, you know, it was it was sort of sad having, you know, having that in the back of my mind, watching them have that very painful conversation where she's 
basically calling him out on having an emotional affair, not using those words, but that's right. what she's saying with uh, Penelope. And he basically goes, yeah, uh, it's because she and I have stuff in common. And and you and I don't. You're not, you know, uh, you're not a curious person. You're not uh, interested in history and, science. you know, you're not interested in the things that I am interested in. And Penelope is so. It's it's a an important friendship to me because I have someone to talk to about the things that I like to talk about, and that's just not the way our relationship is. And and you see how hurt Elizabeth is in that moment because she she never you know she she always loved him you know mm-hmm. Por- Porchy Porchy is just kind of like her best buddy almost you know um you know like childhood friend kind of thing but um you know she she never uh she was never looking for anybody else right and we do know it's heavily implied in the first two seasons that philip might have slept around for a bit he mellows out he mellows out eventually uh you know and and stops with all of that um you know, and of course, Elizabeth being Elizabeth, she just looked the other way the entire time, even though she knew it was happening. Right. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think as far as the episodes go, mm-hmm. I think they're the heaviest episodes of the season in the context of slowing the season down. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand why they had to have that episode at the beginning of the season to show their friendship blossoming um, right. between the two of them. Because in the episode where Philip has to give his DNA to figure mm-hmm. out who these family members are, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it did show that he kind of, you know, sympathized and, you know, confided in Penelope because there was science involved and he found that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And the way science was advancing in these years to be able to do the things that they were doing to identify who these mm-hmm. remains belong to. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that they had to build that relationship somewhat. But I think myself as a viewer watching this show, seeing the juxtaposition of his friendship with Penelope, meanwhile you have Charles and Camilla mm-hmm. having their mm-hmm. friendship on the side. And you're right, from previous season, seeing Elizabeth and Porchy have that relationship – I think there were some interesting juxtapositions going on that I was picking up on as a viewer, but it felt like the show itself wasn't super aware that they were making these juxtapositions, and nor did they lean into it. It seemed more along the lines of just a storyline to give Philip something to do. Yeah, I would agree. Which is kind of the problem with both the writing for Elizabeth and the writing for Philip, it just felt like they didn't quite know what to do with these characters this season. Right. And I think I, I, I would agree with you. And I also felt, you know, when we looked at when, when we watched the, when we'd watched the whole season, Tim and I were talking about it and we felt that the, aside from that really painful conversation that Elizabeth and Philip have, um, that episode could have been really interesting. Um, but the execution of it was very weak. It was the weakest episode of the season. Um, yeah. You know, it could have been fascinating, you know, the whole, the connection with the Romanovs and the DNA and all this stuff. It was, it was, you know, it's an interesting and important part of the family's history. Um, 
but they they kind of whiffed the execution of it and it felt like it was it was there mostly to again as you say give them something to do and give them a bit of conflict and 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 it was painful i felt for elizabeth when she you know she's obviously stung when philip says uh sorry i'm friends with her because you know we have more in common and doesn't mean i'm going to go sleep with her i don't don't think that's something that she's interested in you know but we have a connection i have a connection with her that i just simply don't have with you and that's just reality and that's maybe kind of what happens in a marriage as long as ours um and that's 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 just the truth and it's a hard truth and i'm sorry but um that's that's just the way it is and you know and elizabeth doesn't really know what to do with that because she is who she is and she's not going to change overnight you know i think she handles it very gracefully she finds Uh a way to handle it very gracefully because she's like okay this has the potential to turn into a scandal if we uh don't watch it or air it out yeah, yeah exactly so she she you know she goes to penelope and she's like okay i'm aware of you know the situation between you and my husband, but, um, you know, I don't want this to become a rift and I don't want this to become a problem in the press. So you are going to come with me to church for Christmas and we're going to walk there together and we're going to be pals. Um, you know, and I think that that was a, a great moment of, of, of seeing how Elizabeth has gotten good at managing the public perception of right. her own behavior, uh, which was something that she certainly had trouble with in the first two seasons. Um, you know, there was a whole episode in season two with Claire Foy where, you know, there's that guy who, um, you know, writes a speech about how tone deaf Elizabeth is. And she actually like kind of goes undercover and visits him and goes, okay, tell me, tell me what the problem is. Tell me what you're seeing. And I'm going to try to change things because uh, I'm not really uh, okay with the fact that people think I'm out of touch. Right. Um, you know, and and it's funny because there's this juxtaposition in this season as well of like, you know, it starts – the season starts with um, that poll about mm-hmm. Queen Victoria syndrome. And, um, and it ends – it's kind of bookended with the poll going the other way after all of the drama with Diana and the divorce. Right. Um, but there was a brief point, a moment of time where people were just like, mm, maybe she should step down, let Charles take the job. He's been waiting and she's sort of stuck in her own ways. Um, you know, and so she's, she's not tone deaf per se, but she's not always good at being, you know, finding ways to make herself relevant. And well, when you're married to the to the chair and to the crown, and, exactly. Yeah, she exactly. doesn't really get the fair shake to even be in the right. current time, right? But she she has learned how to manage uh, problematic perceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as she you know, like as seen in that moment where she goes to Penelope and she's like, "We are we're going to make this not look bad." Um. Because it doesn't have to be bad. It's like she comes, she, she, it hurts, but she understands what Philip is saying. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't tell him, uh, you know, ultimatum, you have to, you, you, I don't want you to be friends with her anymore. But she's like, okay, let's, let's, let's fix this a little bit behind the scenes so that 
it doesn't look bad. And then also, like, in a way, it might make Elizabeth feel better about the situation as well. Be like, she's a friend of the family. She's not like a, a stranger. random stranger ballerina, <laughs> you know. Right, um, right. So... I, I thought that was int- it was it, it was it was sad. It made me sad for Elizabeth, but I thought that it was, um, you know, an interesting storyline that was not executed very well. I was not as interested in that situation as I was in, you know, um, you know the the other you know more pertinent drama that was going on in this time period. Um, right. You know, uh, and um, to that end, as well, as long as we're talking about uncomfortable spousal conversations, I did like the episode where they finalized the divorce and Charles comes over to Diana's place in Kensington Palace. And he's kind of like, I don't really know why I'm here, but I I felt like I should I just felt like I should come talk to you. And they sort of end up trying to do like a debriefing of the marriage and where it went wrong. And it was like a bookend to that conversation in season four in Australia when they started the conversation thinking, okay, this marriage isn't going to work. And then in the course of that conversation, they realize, okay, they have some similarities when it comes to self-esteem and, you know, public perception and what what they need in a partner. And for a brief while on that visit, they really, really connected very strongly. And, you know, even, you know, realized that they loved each other. And then by the end of it, it had fallen apart again. Um, And so I thought that this was an that was an interesting bookend to that have him come over. And she's like, Oh, I'll make you some eggs. And she kind of messes that up. So (laughs) they have scrambled eggs instead of an omelet. And I have read that that we don't know what was said in that conversation, but they did. I do know just from my own reading about the relationship that they did sit down at one point and try to hash out what went wrong. They tried they tried to do that because on some level they did care about each other. There Mm -hmm. wasn't they didn't hate each other. They just shouldn't have gotten married. Right. You know, that was that was the mistake was they, they weren't meant to be married, but he, they didn't they didn't hate each other. Um, and I thought that it was interesting the way that played out. It was almost like a little play. It was like a two hander. And it, again, started out, um, you know, with them kind of both acknowledging where they had gone wrong uh, in in the marriage and then. At some point in the conversation, it just takes a very ugly turn. Right. And he storms out. But it was, it was, um, you know, obviously that's very fictionalized. We don't know what was said in the real life conversation that they had. Um, but I, I really liked that they showed that, that they showed that the, you know, that, that they, they tried even as they were divorcing, they tried to understand each other and, you know, find some closure, find a way to kind of move on in a more peaceful, uh, you know, non-antagonistic, non-angry place. Right. But by that point, so much had happened that they couldn't, they couldn't do it. They had a, they had a couple of moments that looked like it was going well and then it fell apart so fast. 
Yeah. It's just that constant track that they're on, that broken record that they're on. There's right. something about their relationship that they'll just never be able to overcome. Yeah. Even in the best of times, even when the connection between the two of them is as separate almost as it possibly could be, there's mm-hmm. still something just innate in their relationship, in their history that can't allow them to just right. get past that. Right. Which exactly. is fairly sad. Exactly. Um, well, I will say, I think we've touched on a number of the parts of the season that I think I wanted to get to, mm-hmm. whether it was from what you brought up or what I brought up as well. Um, I do have a closing question for you. Sure. Um, that will kind of build into the next season as well, somewhat. But I have not watched the recent Netflix documentary I about have not either. Harry I have and Meghan. I don't want but to. I think I have a growing interest now, especially once we get to the end of like best of 2022 and once I have a little mm. bit more free time on my plate. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my, my question to you to close out this episode is we've spent so much of season five of The Crown watching Diana make the mistakes of feeling like she has to air her story mm. and get her story out there. Yeah, yeah. And isn't it fascinating that at the same time, Harry and Meghan are doing it's the hap- same thing? It's happening again. It's yes. happening again. It's happening again. And it's, it's uh, you know, basically from, from what I have read about the documentary, it's backfiring a little bit. Yes, I've been reading the same. And it's, and it's a shame because actually, I, you know, if they hadn't done it, it would have been, everyone was very much on their side right. up until this point. And I think that I think that this might be a bit of a misstep. I think they've I think they might have gone a little too too far into it. Maybe had had they waited a few years and then tried to do this, maybe that would have been uh better. You know. Right. Um, you know, just just giving everybody some time to um you know just sort of we like we know what happened we know he left we know that she was not treated well we know right. that he a big part of why he left is because he started to see parallels between how his wife was being treated and how his mother his mother was treated and how it was affecting her mental health and how it affected his mother's mental health they did the interview with Oprah, which I think I think that was a good move. I think that right. was that was uh, a smart PR move in the immediate aftermath of him uh, extricating himself from mm-hmm. the family. Um, I think the documentary on Netflix right now might be a a misstep. Um, Again, like I said, maybe if they'd waited another five years or so with some more perspective, yeah. uh, especially, you know, more perspective as as they have lived a longer life outside of the system, especially him. You know, mm-hmm. she's she's all you know, she's always been an outsider to the system, but he he grew up in it. Um, yeah, it maybe very similar to in this season, season five, having the book come out. Yes. Diana airing her story. Yeah. And then so quickly afterwards, that interview. The interview. Yeah. 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 Uh, although it's interesting because the book and the interview were received so well and uh, made 
Charles's popularity ratings just go straight into the trash. Mm-hmm. And also Camilla is, is, you know, became the most hated woman in England for a while. And it took them years. I do like that they show the scenes where she's meeting with the um, the image consultant, the uh, the the PR person to try to rehabilitate her image a bit. Um, because it was a very, very, very long campaign that uh, Charles's camp in the family uh, pursued to get Camilla to a point where the public was okay with their relationship and okay with her as a public figure, which she never wanted. Right. And 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 okay, like by the time they got married, everybody was like, you know what? Good for them. Yeah. You know, good for them. They this is this is what should have happened orig- like initially. And look at how much pain could have been. I mean, it, it's a shame Avoided. we wouldn't we wouldn't have William and Harry, which is too bad because they're lovely. I don't know about William, honestly, <laughs> at this point knowing <laughs> knowing what I know uh from the Harry and Meghan interviews, but you know, um that that would have been a shame, but but mm-hmm. you know, I, it got to a point where everyone was like, you know what? They, we know, we know they love each other, and it's like let's let's let them be happy. Finally, let's let them, you know. And and it's interesting that it's changed so much that they, you know, which I think you brought to my attention last time we talked about the crown. Um, but they changed the rule that would, and they Camilla is allowed to be called Queen Camilla. Like they've mm-hmm. that's that's that was I know that was a. a a point of ambiguity as they were doing the forward planning for the queen's inevitable death uh, in the past few years. And they finally were just kind of like, well, she's his wife. Why not? You know? Um, And it does show again, you know, that, you know, with divorce being such a huge linchpin in the history of this family and how they've operated. um, It is kind of nice to see that that has panned out, Um, you know, and, 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 you know, anytime you see a picture of Charles and Camilla, like in together, these you can tell how close they they're are. They're so always, happy. They're so happy. They're always they are. You often see them sitting together giggling. I've heard that Camilla is I read an interview with Olivia Williams um, and she has met Camilla a couple of times, which was, you know, she said she found it helpful and also a little intimidating when she was uh, playing the character. And she was like, Camilla is a lot of fun. She is a lot of fun to hang out with. She's got like a really, you know, like like raunchy sense of humor. She, you know, like she she cusses people out, you know, if you sit next to her, apparently. And I've heard this, too, from like, you know, other internal unnamed royal sources that a lot of people really like sitting with her at royal events because she's just fun. She likes to kind of people watch and observe and she'll make little wisecracks and she kind of, you know, takes away from the stuffiness of events because she that's just her personality. Right. And that's a and that's good for Charles because Charles is is just personality wise a little bit, you know, stiffer all around. Yeah. So that's a good balance. Um, you know, so so I um you know, I like that. I, 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 I'm glad they got to the point where Camilla could be accepted in that role. Oh, agreed. Um, it just took decades, but it just took. They yeah, got there. exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it was. But it's interesting to me that at the time when Diana's book came out and then the interview came out, they were they were just they were so hated. Everybody was on Diana's side, and 
how this has shaken out for Harry and Meghan was up until a point, everybody was on their side. And now it seems like the consensus is this Netflix series is a bridge too far. Sure, sure. Um, well, at this I point, don't, I don't, yeah. I mean, and, and I, I haven't seen it. And so I, I don't know. I don't have an imp- opinion of my own about it. I just know from reviews and from general reactions that I've read uh, to the series that um, people are not uh, not into it. Right. Um, and for that reason, I kind of want to avoid it because I like them and I support their Harry's decisions. decision. I support their decisions and I – I, um, you know, I understand that, you know, especially for race reasons, like that was a really hard family to marry into. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I don't know, you know, we, we know that somebody in the family made a comment about whether their son would be dark skinned or not. They, the, uh, all we know from the Oprah interview, all we know is that the you know Harry and Meghan were adamant that it was not the king, not well, not the king, it was not the queen or Philip. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they didn't say anything more. So I'm like, was it his brother? Was it his father? Was it Camilla? Uh, you know, and they, uh, we don't know. I don't think they're ever gonna come out and say who it was because it would it would be such a disaster it Uh, would be a disaster it'd have to be a very slow news day exactly for them to want to even use that right exactly as a news story exactly um but yeah i i do think it's it's interesting how for a long time the public perception about the two of them and the decisions they made was mimicking uh what diana's path was as she started to come forward about how she had been treated and now there's something about this netflix documentary that is really putting people off and i feel and i feel bad for them because i don't necessarily think they're doing anything wrong sure sure it's just the interesting concept of back then when diana's interview slash book came out obviously the internet was not a big player at the time and so the idea of, of yeah. you know, public perception was a little bit more vague and a little bit easier, or I should say harder to really ascertain how the public felt outside right. of doing, you know, polls for newspapers and what have you. So right. the fact that maybe, and we see that Diana gets manipulated into doing this interview um, and right. a heightened sense of, you know, paranoia, but... You would think that Harry and Meghan would have either a better PR team or the better wherewithal to realize, uh, well, we did this interview and it barely was a year ago. I mean, I feel like that interview was not long ago with Oprah. It wasn't. Um, it, it really wasn't. And the fact that – it was that, good. It was, it was very good for them. Right. And the fact that they, in the interview, said that they were going to be happier living a more quiet life, then you have to wonder, well, if – if you got out of the royal household, A, because it was, you know, a dangerous place to be mentally, mm-hmm. but also because you didn't want the, you know, pomp and all of the, you know, public eye and just all of that that comes with being in the public eye, mm-hmm. you would think that they would have 
maybe stuck to their guns and led a more quiet life rather than digging this all back up again Mm -hmm. and making a documentary out of it. Right. So it's interesting that they chose to do this in the first place. And maybe that's the key to understanding the series. And I probably will watch it at some point. So maybe that is the key is just finding out why they decided. Yeah, why to why do they it. wanted to do Because I don't know yeah. the why. And so it's I don't just know very the why either. You know, and that that's the thing too, that that when I look at when I look at the choice to make a, a documentary miniseries, I'm I'm my first thought was the Oprah interview was sufficient. Right. And Oprah was actually what else is there to tell. Exactly. And Oprah was a brilliant choice uh to do that interview with um not just because she could relate to megan on issues of race but because oprah is oprah's like the anti-martin bashir you know like oprah is an empathetic human being and she's interested in the truth people love her she's interested in the truth she cares about you know people suffering she puts her money where her mouth is she's Mm -hmm. she's uh an impeccable public figure you know, I mean, she's, you know, she's wealthier than most people will ever be in their life. But she seems down to earth despite right. all of that. And she she cares. You know, you know that she cares about the truth and she was trying to help them tell their truth. Right. There's and I never think, an ulterior motive with Oprah. Like, no, right. no, not at all. She she just wants she just wants to to help people tell their truth. Uh, whether they're famous or not that was like a you know when she had her talk show that was a big part of her talk show as well mm-hmm. you know um and so i think that was well done and well played by harry and Meghan, and they could have left it at that and right. just moved on the way they said they were going to um but they decided to do this, and I, I, I want to know, yeah, like you, why? Who the advised why? them? Who told them this was a good idea? Right. Um, you know, who, who who didn't see the potential for this to backfire? You know, especially since it's on Netflix and The Crown is on Netflix. And, yes. you know, uh, even even from that basic standpoint, it seems like an unintelligent choice. You know, yes, um, especially if, since like, you know, Dame Judy Dench and other, you know, like, I don't know why Dame Judy Dench is so upset about this. But, you know, we have all these public figures in England who are like the crown needs to put a disclaimer that the, that the show is not a documentary. And everybody involved in the crown is like, duh, it's not. A, it's, it's a television. A, show. It's a television show. Grow up. Get over yourself, you know. Um, you know, but like when when. When we know people have been up in arms about the fictional television show and concerns about the portrayal, you know, and I like John Major has come forward and said, Charles never, ever, ever came to me behind his mother's back and tried to get me to help him, like, push her off the throne. He's like, that is not a thing that happened. You show that on the show. It's not a thing that happened. I am kind of really not okay that they made it look like i participated in that conversation i quick aside johnny lee miller was great as john major i loved him we should move on from yeah i I thought he was fantastic i'm i think that the fellow they got to play tony blair is not as good as michael sheen was in the in the queen uh Mm -hmm. michael sheen kind of understood tony blair tony blair comes off as a little more smarmy in the show version of the crown and hopefully we'll get to see his character a little bit more 
yeah. thought out in this yeah. last season. Ex- exactly. Um, but I, I, I also know that Tony Blair has come out and said, yeah, uh, Charles didn't come to me with that either. Um, you know, and I can see, I can see why, um, not just because he's king. I can see why these two guys are just kind of like, you're making us look bad too. <laughs> you know, like we, we, we would not have entertained a conversation like that, you know? And, and again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing the show for taking dramatic license because you have to make the show interesting in order to tell sure. a story. And a big part of the story, I mentioned the tortured metaphor of the Britannia, the boat being somehow a metaphor for Elizabeth. And I thought that that was really, really just not well executed. I got, I got what they were trying to do. And I was, when the Britannia came up again in the last episode, I was like, Oh no, the boat is Elizabeth. We know the boat is Elizabeth. We get it. Um, you know, but, um, they were trying to make a point about relevancy. And so I understand why they, took dramatic license and tried to show Charles doing some behind the scenes maneuvering mm-hmm. um, ultimately because he did want not even, I mean, uh, he did want to be King. He's he waited and waited and waited and waited, you know, and, and there were some funny moments in this season where he was like, well, soon enough, I'm going to be King. And, and Tim was like, you're going to have to wait another 25 years, mate. You know, like, yeah, it's not, yeah, not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> nope. um, you know, but but, um, you know, he wanted to be King, but he also wanted to change things. And and I think that that showing these sort of these fictional conversations he had with John Major and Tony Blair about it. Like it is a way to convey that aspect of his character, but I can also see why John Major and Tony Blair would be kind of appalled that this would have been portrayed. So again, dramatic license is a thing obviously. And I, and I, I'm not condemning the show for doing it, but I, I do think going back to Harry and Meghan, when there is open backlash about aspects of the fictional show's portrayal of historic events uh, and people are upset about it and and Dame Judi Dench is really mad for some reason. Um, writing, you know, um, this might not have been the right time to put out a documentary miniseries about your life and all of the crap that they put you through this this you probably should have put hit the pause button on releasing it especially since i think it came out right on the heels of yes of the of the show dropping yes um, i think yeah especially on netflix's side it made it seem like a cash grab yes and just kind of like building yes. on the audience that it already had with the crown and then so a cash grab for netflix at best but Mm -hmm. then for harry and megan to go along with it seems a little narcissistic at worst right exactly yeah once i I will watch it before we get together to talk about season six so i'll have opinions you know and like i will watch it too you've convinced me to watch it too i mean i I think it's gonna take a while for me to yeah it's gonna take a while for me to like feel like i want to watch it just yeah. because everything i've been reading about it makes me go ooh, i don't know right um yeah. because i we'll because I, I i i like them i support them i want them to be happy 
And I, th- I think it would be hard for me to watch them sort of shoot themselves in the foot the way it sounds like they might have done. That's but really we'll see. Yeah. yeah, that's really funny because I think the crown humanizes these characters that we see more on just like an ideological uh, presence, whereas right. this Harry and Meghan documentary might humanize them too much in the negative sense. Mm-hmm. Where yeah, we we do support them and understand their struggles, but maybe more in an ideological sense than what they actually yeah. are as people. Yeah, I mean, and and we don't if they want a quiet life. They don't need to be broadcasting this all over the place. Like, like, you know, don't, it it is a bit hypocritical to, to say that they've made these choices to live quietly and raise their children, uh, you know, as normally as they can. Um, and then to, to turn around and release a whole documentary miniseries that just Mm -hmm. sort of is a rehash of what we already know. For the most part, yeah. For the most part, and um, you know, I don't, I don't think it does anything for what they purport to stand for uh, going right. forward. So, yeah, we'll yeah, it makes me Listeners, sad. Look mm-hmm. for another episode. Yeah, <laughs> a year and exactly. a half where we'll talk about that. We, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we'll see, and then yeah, and we'll see how they. Um, Again, I mean, tackle everything else. Exactly, they've set up all the chess pieces. I'm, I'm at, I, you know, if we've left off three months before Diana's death, I imagine they're gonna get the Diana thing done in the first couple of episodes. If they've cast uh, older versions of William, they're going to have to move forward from that. It's not going right. to end with that. For a long time, I thought the series was going to end on that note and then have, you know, the story of the Queen, the film The Queen, kind of pick up the aftermath of that. I think that's what Peter Morgan might have initially intended for the show and then realized that that wasn't going to be the best way to to end the show. Fairly somber, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like we'll there see. Will be a little bit of overlap, yeah. Yeah, we'll see that. Um, you know, we'll see the Fayad family, how they how they deal with it and – you know, and I think it, 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 there's room. I, I'm intrigued to see how they address uh, the idea of grief, uh, especially for the two boys, for William and yeah. Harry. Um, because that was, uh, you know, obviously uh, it, it affected the whole world, <laughs> it seemed. But um, it's really the two of them who were most dramatically affected by their mother's death. Um, and it, you know, and, and it, and it, it influenced the way the two of them turned out in different ways, you know, um, definitely. So I, I hope that they, I hope that they do a little bit in that. I hope that they let us unpack that a little bit, um, since they seem to be going with this sort of, um, generational approach to the concept of the crown, um, you know, just kind of looking at looking at that and i mean you know we know margaret's gonna pass away we know the queen mum's gonna pass away there's a lot of there's a lot of uh sadness and death coming aside from diana um you know so this is it's a it's a rough period in the family's life that we're about to go into um definitely so i'm i'm intrigued to see uh how they how they do it um and also because peter morgan has done a version of it already in a film uh, what he chooses to change or, um, you know, maybe reinterpret with, with the hindsight of, I can't remember when the queen came out. 
you know. Feels like ages ago at this point. Yeah. 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 I think it'll feel quite different. I think so, I too. Do. I think, yeah. again, with, with hindsight and a different perspective, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned, everybody, because we're, <laughs> we're going to have plenty to say about that when the time comes. So much more content. Yeah. But, yeah, well, Rhea, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, yeah, and... thank you again for, for doing this. You know, I always love talking to you about TV and – Especially, you know, <laughs> especially the crown. We have we have this uh, very much in common. I don't have uh, Tim watches the crown with me, but he's not really uh, interested in going deep <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the way the way you are. So I'm glad that I have at least one one TV buddy who who will uh, who will unpack this the way I like to unpack it. Um yeah, it, it's funny because I think Heath was on a couple of business trips, essentially, around the time that this came out. Mm-hmm. And when I mentioned that I was doing this podcast with you, he was like, oh, you finished that? And I was like, yeah, I think I watched like all of it while you weren't here. And, <laughs> and he was a little, I think, a little sad, not like by a lot, but I think right. he enjoyed watching it passively when I would watch it when he was still in the house. <laughs> right. But yeah, it is funny that... Uh, you and I are kind of like Philip and Penelope. Like, I don't feel like I have a lot of people to talk to about <laughs> television and media. But when I do, it's it's not my husband. <laughs> yeah, no. Exact, I'm in the exact same boat. I'm in the exact same boat. He'll watch things with me and then he'll be like, that was cool. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, but can we, you know, like... We were, before we started recording this, I was talking with you about Welcome to Chippendales. And, and Tim is watching with me and he likes it. But I'm just kind of like... You know, we've digging. I, I dig, yeah, I'm a little. I, I don't want to spoil. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to spoil it because I know I'm ahead of you in in your watching of it. But I'm just like, I'm like, can we talk about Steve Banerjee? No relation to me, by the way. Um, and and like, what his deal is because he's fascinating. And Tim's like, eh, I mean, I think he is who he is. And I'm like, oh man, all right. <laughs> so level. I'm I'm uh, uh, let me know when you're done watching that, and I will. Uh, you know, even if we don't do a podcast. We can, uh, we can chat about it chat about it <laughs> yeah that sounds like a plan <laughs> <laughs> awesome well thank you listeners as well for listening to this episode and sticking with us um obviously we really love the crown we hope you do too um if you have listened to this podcast thank you so much make sure to check out the other podcasts that we have available um, we've got a deep catalog and history, so feel free to dig into any of that. If you go to storyscreenbeacon.com, you can find all types of articles, reviews. Um, if you scroll to the bottom of the page, you'll find all of our little links to our Instagram, our Facebook, our Twitter. Feel free to check us out on any of those uh, avenues. And as always, if you liked this podcast, give it a like, write a comment, make sure you subscribe to our feed so you'll see us pop up every Monday when we drop an episode. And then look forward to these next few months where we really get into our favorites of the previous year. Um, We'll be releasing best of 2022 lists towards the end of January. And then we'll start getting into the best of podcast. And then in the next few months, really like digging into what's nominated for Oscars and getting out our Oscar predictions. And we're excited for that too. So this is really post Christmas, really like our favorite time of year for story screen. Cause we really get into the nitty gritty of 
why the previous year was so great. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, those. it's it's it's. I I love after the holidays. Everybody else who's not into this stuff kind of has a post holiday come down. But for those of us who are interested in film and TV, we we're 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 going straight into award season. Yeah. So we are like we're psyched. <laughs> there's so much to talk about now. Um. So there's no post holiday slump in the story screen world. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> well, thank you so much again, everyone, and look for more episodes and more content in the future but i hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you later bye